It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 at the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with respect to the New York football Giants in multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring at 201-939-4513. Can't get to the phones. Maybe a little bit antisocial. Don't worry. You can hit us up on Twitter. Hashtag <laughs> Giants Chat. And a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we are all still recovering from the 2022 NFL Draft as we are now officially one week, Jeff, removed. Ooh. We have certainly spent a lot of time reacting and breaking down the prospects, but I thought today we'd get into more of a big-picture perspective, start to look at who, based on the roster, has a legitimate shot to step in early in the season, get a lot of snaps, log a few starts, and make a significant impact based on what we see with respect to the rest of the roster. And then the other thing, Jeff, of course, is that, before you know it, rookie minicamp is going to arrive, which means the Giants are going to further put these rookies under the microscope, but it will also give them an opportunity to look at some undrafted free agents and invite players to perhaps round out the 90-man roster. Yeah, I love the rookie minicamp because I feel like you get a chance to look at, obviously, the draft picks. And then, of course, you know, the guys that don't get drafted, I was one of those. And, you, you know, you sat by the phone on the last day of the draft hoping that someone would call you. In fact, most teams are calling you before the draft is over because they're trying to figure out if you're going to sign with them or another team. Um, but that's, that's fun because now you get these guys that you sign them and, and they're a long shot to make the team, but you get a chance to go out there and see what they can do and evaluate them on a three-day minicamp and then get a chance to see your draft picks for the first time all together, how they're going to coexist. And then, you know, a little, it's, so it's a good time to, to watch these guys. And, and coming out of this minicamp, Obviously, every one of the draft picks and some of their preferred free agents are going to go to training camp. There's always a few guys in this rookie minicamp, Lance, that we see, <coughs> excuse me, that we see make an impression. And I think that's a lot of, a lot of good times for these guys because, hey, man, they, they didn't get drafted. They, they got a chance to come in, and lo a lot of these guys are local. Like, they'll just drive down sure. from, you know, from Monmouth County. They'll come in and, and put these guys on the field. So there are a few of those guys that, if they're so lucky and they do well, to get invited to training camp because that's really the next step. Although they will come to the to the regular mini camps that they have. But, and the, by the way, the Giants do get an extra one because of the new coaching staff. So lots of opportunity for these guys a week from today. Yeah, and that's with respect to in terms of the offseason schedule, Jeff, that you were just alluding mm -hmm. to. When teams have new coaches, they start the offseason program a week earlier than the rest of the NFL. That's why the Giants got going. And we should mention we are officially a week away from rookie minicamp. It will get underway next Friday, May 13th. It'll carry on throughout the course of the weekend. And this is an opportunity, as you mentioned, for some local products to make their names present within the Giants organization. Maybe the Giants are aware of them, but they can at least look at them a little bit closer since they're going to be on the facility and on the premises to see whether or not they're a good fit and they're worthy of fitting in to the 90-man roster. Because this is the time of the year, Jeff, as you were hitting on. 
You've got 90 spots to fill up. And what did Joe Shane mention after the draft? He said he wants to fill out the defense. Because if you look at the roster right now, it's lopsided in favor of the offense versus the defense. So if I'm an undrafted free agent, and by the way, nothing is official yet. The Giants haven't formally announced who they're bringing in because this is still the time period where also transactions could change here or there depending on what teams decide to do. That's more of a reason why nothing is official and we're not bringing up any names in particular, even though you may have seen some reports. But getting back to my point, point about the defensive side of the ball, Jeff, there is an opportunity here because in terms of volume, there's far less defensive players on this roster right now in comparison to the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, you're just going to have to go through there and, and filter, you know, enough guys to be able to, 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 to fill a second and a third team defense, you know? Well, so, you need the bodies for a lack of a better phrase. Yeah, and so um, it will be interesting to see the the roster, how it kind of you know, moves into the transition. The other transition is that we haven't talked a lot about this, and it's a. I feel like it's a, a vital component of the off season is the other than the workout program, which, by the way, I feel is is very. You got. I mean, if you can get as many guys as you can in the off season workout program, for many reasons, it's 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 valuable to the team and the, to the player because you're in the facility, you're uh, being able to see how these guys are working out. But you got the OTAs coming up. That, to me, is, is very, very important. And I remember talking to Jason Garrett last year um, before one of the games earlier in the season until he was let go um, about the offense. And I had said to him, you know, what's, what is your take on the offense when, as far as getting these things together? And he said, you know what? I am such a big, big believer in the OTAs and the offseason that we've got to be able to get guys on the same page and learn the playbook. Because if you don't have those and you don't participate in them, there is going to be a lot of work still left to do as far as installation and things when you get into training camp. Lance, when you get into training camp, you do not want to be behind. And what I mean by this is some of the players, not so much the staff. These the staff are always way ahead of anybody. But the players, you want to be on the you want to be ahead of what's going on because they will pass you up. And that's one thing I remember in training camp, not so much from my position, but just talking to good friends of mine that have played the other positions, is that when you get to training camp, they do not wait for you. They don't wait. They move. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I mean, you got to get in that playbook, and we talk about it all the time. And when that's what all those scrimmages are about, all the preseason games are about, because they want to see how these guys can. Uh, retain information, taking it from the classroom to the field like we've always talked about. And so if you're behind going into training camp and miss some of the OTAs or have been not be able to participate in some of the other the, the mini camps, things like that, well, those are, those are all mandatory. So I'm imagining a lot of you guys will be here, but the OTAs are not. Those are all voluntary. So you want to be at all these things so that you're leading up to the, to the regular training camp opening so that you're not sitting, sitting behind because it goes by quick. Well, especially if you're a young player, that's Jeff, what I, mean. I think, yeah. right? Yeah, that should be highlighted even more saying, because yeah. you're not only making the transition to a new scheme, which you just mentioned, but also life in the National Football League. Yeah. So I think that's extremely important from the standpoint of, especially if you're part of this rookie class, and you know this, Jeff, what's also important to note is based on their academic curriculum and whether or not they're finishing up, some players are not going to be able to participate in rookie mm-hmm. minicamp yeah. because there's NFL rules and regulations. You've got to right. take care of your matriculation at school before you worry about joining the NFL team. So that's the other thing that comes into play here. But most often than not, 
the majority of the draft class can usually take part in rookie minicamp because every school is on a different schedule. But that sometimes is a little bit of a hiccup or an obstacle Mm -hmm. that presents itself for some members of this rookie class. Yeah, it happens all the time. Uh, you know, just depending on what school you're at, what state you're in, and how schools, you know, they, they get out of school later some places. So yep. until that graduating class, I believe this is the rule, until that your class graduates, you can't come into any type of uh, structured activities with the team that drafted you. Or even, I guess, maybe, well, it, it's probably the same if they drafted you or, or they signed you. It doesn't matter, right? I don't know if the restrictions are the same. I would think that they've got to be relatively yeah. close. Yeah. I mean, to me, that would be quite the double standard yeah, exactly. to say that if you're drafted, <laughs> you have restrictions, but if you're undrafted, you don't. Yeah, yeah I would think that thing. it's pretty much across yeah. the board. Yep. Yeah, yep. under so those circumstances. Uh, you know, and, and, and by the way, there was a – and talk about being behind. I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, it was a – it was I think it was a running back or a linebacker from UCLA the Giants drafted about four or five years ago. Um was it, did the Giants have a, a running back from UCLA? Um, he could not come here until later. I remember he missed a couple, like the rookie minicamp, stuff like that. So anyway, uh, that's a big deal. Uh, not, I mean, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal for the player because you're sitting there going, man, what, what am I? I'd like to be, you know, be, be at the Giants rather than be at the economics class. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, especially when you realize what's ahead of you in, in terms of the economically. Playbook. And yes, you are talking about Paul Perkins, by the way. That's what it was, yeah. No, yep. And you're 100% right. He came late. Mm-hmm. And he had to play a little bit of catch-up, to your point. Yeah, yep, I remember that. So, um, and, and, and uh, by the way, I think for the veterans, it's a little bit easier because they're un- they understand the process, how they've been in the league. They under- even if you're, in the first, if you're a second-year player, you've already been around an NFL season, so you kind of know how it operates. Um, the, the, but remember, this is, this is a new system for the existing players here. So, you know, you don't want to get behind there, too. And I think that what confuses a lot of players is that, remember this, defenses and offenses are very similar. Um, it's just the terminology that changes. So, you know, what, what one route in one system might be called this, it's going to be called a different route in another system, although it's still the same route. So a lot of times guys get a little bit confused on the terminology, but the plays are the same. And then it's just a matter of just kind of plugging and playing. That's just repetition over and over. And that's why... Um, the mini camps and the OTAs and the training camp, that's all about reps. That's just over and over and over, installing your offense, installing your defense and special teams, and you're installing you know, third downs and first downs and things like that offensively and defensively. So there's a lot of process to it. So by the time you get to maybe the, the beginning to the middle of training camp, it's pretty much uh, full go. You're, you're, you know what's happening. The Giants, every team will not expose. They'll put their base defense and offenses in because, remember, there's 90 guys in camp. Only 53 of them are making the roster. And so they don't want to have a lot of these guys taking some of their stuff and going elsewhere. They're just going to put in these base offense and base defense and special teams. Sure. Now, granted, some of those players will probably be invited back to the practice squad. So it really turns out to be more than 53. No, but your point is well taken, Jeff. It's unlikely that everyone who doesn't make the 53-man roster is going to be brought back. So that's why you got to be at least a little careful and cautious in terms of what you're implementing. But I think you brought up an interesting point with respect to just the nature of adjusting to the language because that's what it is. It's really you're learning a new language, language, essentially. Mm -hmm. You're not learning football, but you're learning terminology that you may not be used to. And here's the other thing. Normally, if you're a younger player 
And this is what happens when you have new coaches and new schemes. You could go to the veteran who may have been in the scheme, right, for a few years, uh-huh. and he could spend some time with you after practice or outside of the facility. The problem is, Jeff, the veterans this year, they themselves are <laughs> learning, right, yeah. a new language and a new system. Now, granted, there are a few guys that were brought over that were right. with Wink Martindale in Baltimore. So those guys will be able to assist, like a Justin Ellis, for example. Mm-hmm. But the bulk of the roster, I would say, on both sides of the ball, and there are are some Buffalo players too on offense, but the bulk, everyone really is almost like a rookie to a certain degree. Yep. And I think that, you know, the, the rookies will, they will definitely lean on some of those veterans for information. Um, and I think that, you know, the coaches will obviously do a good job at installing that stuff with those guys too, but it's up to them to pay attention. It's up to them to study. Uh, these mini camps are long. I remember they're, they're probably, they were probably longer when I was in the league because there's probably rules now that, um, you know, limit how many time hours they can be at the, I mean, those mini camps. Well, what I are was, you insinuating, Jeff, oh that they got away God. with murder Gee back in your day? I mean, I remember it was like 6.30 for the rookies there that, you know, and then the veterans got to come in at like 8 o'clock, but we were there from 6.30 in the morning until a good 11 o'clock at night and just, you know, just football, football, football. Marathon. Oh, yeah, and it's just it's just so long of a day, and then, you know, you're excited to be there, but it's it's exhausting, you know, and so you go back to the hotel that night, and I mean, you literally put your head on that pillow, and you're out till the next morning again, so not a lot of activity at night other than studying, not much studying going on in punting, so I didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have as much stress on your plate yeah. as everybody else. As long as I knew yeah. what North and South were, I was good. <laughs> so, uh, but it was just, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of fun, and I, I mean, it's exciting for these young guys because when you think about it, even if you're an undrafted rookie free agent being invited to the New York Football Giants minicamp, and if you're around the area, which a lot of these guys will be, um, talk about a dream come true. You know, you get a picture with you in, in the New York Giants football helmet and you're in this facility, you're on the field, you're with Coach Dable, his staff. And, you know, even if you get even if they let you go after that minicamp, you've, you've kind of checked the box in, in one of your goals as a football player to just step on an NFL practice field. And then, you know, the next goal is to make a team and get on the on the playing field. So it's it's actually really exciting for a lot of those young guys. And one last thing that I wanted to add, just in terms of the logistics that you were getting into, what happens is. They'll come to rookie minicamp, and the rookies are going to do, obviously, separate work from the veterans. And then a little bit later in the offseason, they're going to start to mix Mm -hmm. the rookies and the veterans together. And that's when you really start to hit your stride before you break for about a month or so, and then everybody returns together for training camp. And what also tends to happen, Jeff, is sometimes the rookies stay behind an extra few days after they break for about a month so that they could play a little bit of catch-up, then they get their time off, and then everybody returns simultaneously for training camp. That's usually, for the most part, how most teams go about the schedule. Yep, there's always, uh, you know, because I know that the, at the end of everything in summer, before you go to training camp, there's a lull in there because the coaches need it. The coaches need that. It's they the only could, time they have, It's the only time they're going to be yeah. able to go on vacations with their family. And it's usually anywhere between four and six weeks, just depending on which team you are, how early you – you know, if you're going to play in at one of those games, um, uh, the 
what is it, the Hall of Fame game. If you're yep. one of those teams that play early, you got to come a little bit early. But for the most part, the players get the time off and so do the coaches because they need it and because they're about ready to go through, you know, 80 to 90 hour work weeks for the next 20 weeks. And it's just, that's a lot of work. And they, they, they sacrifice because they don't see their families that much. So you want to be able to give them some time before they go into the season, starting in training camp and just the grind of the whole, the whole year. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with you here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Looking ahead to next week's rookie minicamp, the ins and outs of that as the Giants are trying to round out their 90-man roster. In addition to that, we'll get more into the actual 11-player draft class and some of the expectations that may come with this class and who has a legitimate shot to get on the field early and make an immediate impact. But in the meantime, let's open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. Few reminders before we get to the phones. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Let's open up the phone lines. We check in with AJ in South Carolina. AJ, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I like what the uh, Giants did in the draft, and I like the uh, caveman of Thibodeau pick. I think he's going to be a good addition to uh, defense. Well, I think okay. that a lot of other people would echo your sentiments, AJ, and we certainly appreciate the phone call. Jeff, I think it goes back to the old bang for your buck, the hmm. way you look at right those top first-round picks, the fact that you got two players that were in the conversation at one point for the number one overall selection, if you go back a few months, and you also you address the trenches which no matter how much the game is going to change and evolve over time, you always need to be strong on the defensive line and the offensive line, and both of those players happen to fit that bill. Oh, 100%. And I think that you probably, nobody cares if one came before the other, as long as you got both of them, and they did. Um, you know, the only thing about the numbers is that, you know, yeah, you had some people would, could have said, well, I wanted this player, I wanted that player. I don't think it matters. I think they got the players that they wanted, the players that's going to play in their systems, and those two guys are going to have an immediate impact on the football team this year, no doubt. They're 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 just they're blue chippers. They're starters. They're going to be plug and play guys, and and then the rest of them, you start to talk a little bit about, and we, what we're going to talk a little bit about going forward is it's you know which of these players are are actually going to have the real good chance to be one maybe a starter or two. Uh, you know, a rotational player that's going to be playing a lot of snaps on, on Sunday, whether it's offense, defense, or special teams. Well, it's actually good that we got that call right off the top because I think that's a good way to piggyback into this conversation as we will also continue to mix in some phone calls because it goes without saying we know Thibodeau and Neal are going to make an impact based on where they were selected and clearly their resume. But I think it's more interesting outside of those first-round picks – who potentially could get on the field? And I don't know if it's best to word it, Jeff, starters, because, you know, I don't like that term. All that means is you were on the field for the very first play of the game, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean that you're then going to play the bulk of the snaps moving forward. So I think the best way to maybe label this is 
who perhaps is going to be a regular rotational player. Mm -hmm. How about we word it like that? Yeah, yeah. Okay? Yep. So if you look beyond the first round, I would say Wondell Robinson certainly has an opportunity to make a name for himself within the wide receiver core, and if they choose to utilize him as a running back and a special teamer. Yeah, returner. Right? Okay. Joshua Zudu. He certainly has a shot to start sure. at He's left guard. He's going to be competing. He's, yeah. Right? He's going to be in the mix there. So those are two right there. I don't think it's a stretch that year one we could see a significant amount of snaps for them. And I think after that, Cordell Flott, depending on what happens with James Bradbury, you know, he can move up the ladder in terms of the depth chart. And Daniel Bellinger, I think it all depends on do they have a cluster of tight ends, Jeff, that they're going to utilize, or is one guy in particular going to log a lot of snaps? And I would lean more towards the former than the latter in mm -hmm. terms of those situations. Yeah, I agree. Starting with Bellinger, he's a role player. He's going to be a, a core special teamer. Um, he's going to be a blocking tight end, and he's going to catch some passes. But he's, you know, that's going to be his role. So what is in what is up for the offense that week? Will entail how much Bellinger plays on offense. Okay, he'll play every he'll play the big four on special teams because he's got size. He's a tight end. He's athletic. He'll definitely be there. Cordero Flott, obviously, there's a guy that is going to be on the field, 100% special teams. You know that. But there's also going to be a situation where I feel like this guy can play. He can play some slot. He can play some outside. He can play, you know, whatever you need him to play on special teams. Remember this, guys. And I told this to a lot of my friends who were asking me about the about this same question. Like, like when you draft these guys, you know, how much are they going to really play? I'm like, well, it just depends on where they're drafted. But most of them, you know, are not going to be starters other than their first, you know, first and second rounders maybe. These are guys you're trying to do long-term are going to be your starters going forward. You're building your football team. Where do they have to? And you look back in the past, you look at all these players that have been drafted. They all start on special teams. And we talk about this all the time. And I know it's probably it's redundant and it probably gets tired of hearing it. But it's, but it's the truth. These guys have to understand that when they walk in this building, yes, they have to know their own position. But more importantly, how are you going to be able to play on Sunday? You're going to have to play special teams. And some of them have never really done it because a lot of these guys that are drafted, especially high, or even some of them middle to low, were stars at their colleges, and they didn't have to play special teams. Well, guess what? Welcome to the world, boys. You're now going to have to start playing it, and that's how you're going to make the team. Or, to your point, Jeff, they may have been exposed to special teams as a freshman or a sophomore, oh, but sure. then they got taken yeah. off of it, right? Because right. they have more of an expanded role yeah, on offense and defense. Yeah. yeah. So now it's sort of like they have to go they're, tap back into... They're a freshman again. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Izudu is a guy... I, I know that on the huddle, you guys had Mac Jones and... Uh, Mac Brown, Mac, yeah. Excuse me, Mac Brown. Mac Jones. Mac Jones is a good guy. Yeah. I don't know who he's yeah. from or yeah, where well, he's associated, sure he, but yes. He sure might he's be a great in the guy. building yeah. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, janitor somewhere, yeah. Mac Jones sounds like it. <laughs> anyway, so he was, I didn't get a chance to listen to it, but I know that he probably has some really good things to say about the two guys that came from North Carolina, especially Azudu, being able to be versatile and play some, some other position. So I would imagine, and because of the nature of the beast at that, at the offensive line, there's always attrition, right? There's guys that get hurt, there's guys that get sick, and there's guys that lose their jobs. And so this is a guy to me that I, has, I think has a really good shot of playing some football on Sundays. Um, and, or he could be one of those guys, Lance, that we see that kind of goes up and down. You know what I'm saying? He's going to be inactive one day or he's going to be active the other because there's injury situations. Well, he's going to be a player that I think once – 
he gets here full-time at the facility, mm-hmm. Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, they're going to give him snaps all across the offensive line. Yeah. And it could be every other day it's a different position because, to your point, and people can check out on the latest edition of the Giants Huddle Podcast, I did have an opportunity to chat with UNC head coach Mac Brown, and one of the things we talked about, Jeff, was his versatility, why they felt confident in moving him around. Remember, they moved him around, Jeff, within a series in a game. I know. Yeah, okay? I was reading about I mean, that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he played one position, and then two plays later, he played a different position. So that's never necessarily easy to do. But he also explained, interestingly, that center is a possibility for him. But one of the reasons why there was a big debate was because of his stutter. And there was concern oh, because about, of yeah. the communication, which was interesting because I don't think many people think about that, right? You're not sure. necessarily thinking about the communication aspects. And that was one of the reasons he said a lot of NFL teams who were looking at Azudu even asked about, will that get in the way of him perhaps having an opportunity at center? I don't want to give it away. You can listen to what Mac Brown had to say. I thought it was very interesting him going back in time with when he was brought into the UNC program, but he has a lot of confidence that center is certainly something that the Giants could explore if they want him to be an insurance policy there. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, the two guards for the center position is he's there, he's a communicator, right? He's the one that's pointing out the Mike linebacker, doing all the calls and this and that. But, you know, the guys on each side of him, they're, they're seeing the same thing, right? Sure. I mean, they, so I don't know if that's such a huge factor. Um, obviously, the center does talk a little bit more about this, but, you know, you can point to things, and there's kind of the, the, the more that they play next to each other, they start to pick up tendencies from these guys, and eventually that's what practice is all about. So I don't think it's going to be as hard as everybody may be making it out to be. I think it'll be fine. But the, I think the greatest thing about it is, is that having the ability to have a player like that can, can a plug and play at one of those positions from injuries, or I have, I have a feeling he's going to have a, a really good competition at the left guard position. That's the one position this year in this training camp and all the other times working up to the regular season that we're going to watch that position. I think there's going to be a lot of kind of back and forth at it. Well, one day it's this guy, one day it's this guy, and I think eventually it could be Joshua Izudu. If it's not this year, it's maybe next year. Well, and that's why you bring up a great point, because let's say he doesn't win the starting job this season. You cannot put value, Jeff, in the NFL on a player, enough value on somebody that you could say is one of our backup offensive linemen, but we cross-train him at every single position. So that means if, God forbid, you have to play the game of musical chairs, as I like to call it, you're not worried about throwing him into a position where he barely had any snaps because in college he played three positions. If you cross-train him at center during practice, you're at least exposing him there. So I would think you'd feel really good when you have to dress three or four additional offensive linemen, and sometimes you only have the luxury maybe of doing two. He adds value, and he warrants getting a uniform on a weekly basis because of his versatility. Yep, and I think that, you know, in any player in this in this uh, conversation, the more versatile you are, the better chance you have of being on the roster no matter what. Um, you know, as we kind of segue into the other guy, I think Wondell Robinson, and then I want to touch on Dane Belton. I think he's another guy that I think is going to get on the field a lot. Um, but Wondell Robinson is going to be one of those – he's going to have his own playbook. He's going to be a guy like K- Kadarius Toney. Um, and we talk about this all the time about injuries. That position – because of the the way the position is played these days, the speed of it, the athleticism that these guys have, they have a tendency to have you know injuries. And so I think this is a, a good situation where 
Wandell can back up Kadarius and they don't have to worry about changing the playbook. They just it's a plug and play there. Okay. So hey, Wandell's in this get this game. Kadarius is out. Wandell, you're you're taking every rep or every special play that we've invented for Kadarius. You know how to run it too. And so I think then and there's also the the opportunity to have both of them on the field at the same time. And being able to put defenses in a little bit of a precarious situation, wanting to be able to have who who are they going to cover, who are they going to have to pay attention to when you got two guys that are very similar that can make big plays. And I also I'm excited to see him in the return game because I, I know there's not a lot of returns and kickoffs um, and even in punts these days. But you know just if you have if you just get him a couple touches, uh, you never know what can happen with that guy. It's pretty exciting. Well, and especially if you're giving Tony more snaps and you don't want to expose him on special teams mm-hmm. as much, yeah. it makes more sense than to use Robinson. And remember, Jabril Peppers is no longer on the team, and he was somebody that they utilized on special teams. So there's a need to add more options. And I do like your point because what it reminds me of in terms of the wide receivers having a similar skill set, Jeff, is what I campaigned for a lot with the quarterback position. If you're going to bring in a backup, bring in a backup where you don't have to then completely change your offense if your starter goes out because he can run similar things, whether it be he has the mobility factor, he can throw far, you could just, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So it's the same thing that if you wanted to have Tony and Robinson be interchangeable parts and rotate them or, God forbid, one gets hurt and you have to lean more heavily on the other, you could do that and the transition should be relatively smooth because you could still accomplish the same things within the components of your offense. Yep, and remember, he, he, he has run the football, and we're not talking about— He was about used as a running back going back to Nebraska even. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so we're not going to talk about you know lining the fullback up in front of him and going north and south up, the, up through the center and the guard. We're gonna, he's going to get out in space. He's going to catch footballs out of the backfield. Um, you know, and I don't want to get off topic here. We're going to come back, but I, I want to talk a little bit more one day, I guess, is that— I, And not today— <laughs> I just, just some I'm all over the place because <laughs> I'm I'm kind of comparing what I feel is going to happen in this offense this year is that the running back position is going to get a lot of a lot of receiving yards and touches. I just think Brian Dable is going to take take advantage of Kadarius Tony um, Robinson, and I also think that he's and and Saquon Barkley is going to be if he can get back to what he did his rookie season catching you know 75 to 90 footballs and stays healthy. That's just another you know component to that offense that we haven't seen in a while and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch well and I think it also goes back to your point about some of these wide receivers who are jack of all trades slash running back slash weapons they may also take some opportunities away from Saquon in terms of what we think Mm -hmm. him getting opportunities out of the backfield because you could use Robinson in a similar way. So I think that's something also to take into consideration. Not to say that you're making a bold statement, Jeff, and saying Saquon's going to get 100 catches, but I don't know if we can necessarily say he's automatically going to be back in the territory of those 90s that he put up as a rookie because Robinson and some of these other guys who they brought in who have connections to Buffalo could be utilized as pseudo-running backs within those components of the offense. So that's something, obviously, to take into consideration. We'll get more into this as we move forward. We want to sprinkle in some more phone calls as we move along here till 1 p.m. Eastern. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with you here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, 201-939-4513. Doug is in Rochester. He joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Doug? Yeah, last I got cut off on you guys, man. All right, well, listen, that's more of a reason why you shouldn't waste any time today, Doug. Yeah, I know you guys. Uh, well, like I said, I like your draft. So how you doing, Jeff? Good. Uh, by the way, I'm doing well. I like. 
I like the draft and um, you know the the you discussed the slot receiver Randell and the uh, Tony, um, but I think they didn't get a, a flat out um, wide receiver that could stretch the field because I I just don't have belief in Slayton and I and I thought they would go with Austin or somebody in the fifth round because uh, I still think that vertical receivers not they don't have it because like I said Slayton I can't trust him stay on the field and I don't think he's the right receiver for that position so well I mean well, let's got, be fair go Galladay. ahead Jeff you got yeah. Galladay too you know sure. I mean he's not a speedster speedster but I think he's got size and able to you know be able to stretch the field a little bit but you know there's a lot of philosophy that goes into these receivers like if you can get two guys to run down the field and stretch it well, then you got Kadarius Tony and uh, Wendell running th- things underneath, you know. So there's a lot of opportunities. But you know, the Giants decided that they were going to try to to pick a receiver like they did with Wendell that is going to fit their system for I feel like going forward, not only this year but in the, co- the next couple of years. Because I think there's a lot of things that are going to work themselves out at the wide receiver position for this team going into next season because you've got remember you've got contracts coming up you've got aging veterans and you're going to have to somehow bolster that wide receiver core so maybe it's next year that they go after the guy that you want yeah yeah because if you look at kansas city and both buffalo they do have a deep threat receiver um so that's why i was thinking you know like gabe on kafka they i think they want to you know you have to keep defense honest you got to get a, a wide out you know, to go, you know, to go deep. So hopefully, this free agency uh, and um, this unrelated draft, undrafted. I'm gonna ask you about the undrafted in your college. Um, do you have to pay those guys or what? How does that work? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you think? They're coming for free? <laughs> I mean, they're not coming out of no, the goodness of their heart. You absolutely have to sign them if they're gonna make the roster ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, well, how's their pay set up? That's what I'm saying. I mean, they're, they're rookies. I mean, they're coming out of college and they get drafted. They're not expecting big pays, right? No, well, that's why it based, it's it's based upon what the agent does to negotiate those contracts, Doug, and we appreciate the phone call. There's no rookie scale, Jeff, for undrafted free no. agents, unless you could shed more light on this. To my understanding is it's, once again, for the lack of a better phrase, it's a bit of the wild, wild west. You pick up the phone, right? You go after a player, and sometimes it comes down to money. For example, Sorry, on... On, on an unrelated note to the Giants, but the Eagles, they went out and they had agreed to a deal. And this is another reason why the Giants haven't made anything official yet because sometimes transactions can happen here or there before rookie minicamp. But to make a long story short, the Eagles had agreed to a deal with E.J. Perry, who's a player that I covered in the Ivy League, good quarterback out of Brown. And then they all of a sudden, Jeff, came to an agreement with Carson Strong, according to reports, the quarterback out of Nevada who wasn't drafted. He got a boatload of money. What happened? The Perry deal fell through. He wound up going to Jacksonville. So, see, that's what happens. Sometimes another player becomes available. The agent works out a deal. The money's attractive, and that kicks somebody else off the roster. We've seen it more often than not. It comes down to with rookie free agents. It's all about, and this is just like being a free agent at any time in your career. It's just, you know, you got to take two. It has to take two teams. If you got one team that wants you and nobody else, eh, you're pretty much you know you're going to take what they give you. But if there's two teams that are buying for your services then you can play one against the other. And I think that, you know, I had a similar situation. <laughs> when I was coming out of college, I had two teams that wanted me to sign. It was the New England Patriots, where ultimately I went, and the other one was the Atlanta Falcons. Well, the Atlanta Falcons had an all-pro punter. 
I ain't going there. You know what? <laughs> I mean, if, if it was my only choice, I would have done it. Sure. But, but New England, they gave me a $5,000 signing bonus. And the Atlanta Falcons didn't. And so this was, this was an easy one for me. I'm like, okay, I can go compete in New England. I'm not going to be able to really compete in Atlanta because the guy was an all-pro and went to the Pro Bowl, and they're really not giving me any type of money. And remember, in 1988, $5,000 was pretty good money. And yep. I was like, I was as happy as a you-know-what. And so <laughs> I think that's, that's how it works today. So you get these signing bonuses, and if you look at them, um, they're a little bit more than 1988, but I think that you know, that's, I would what, hope so. that's, that's what drives <laughs> these, these guys to go to these certain teams. And um, it's all about it's economics at this point. You know? So um, now with the draft, those are all slotted. Guys you know, from one down to 200 and whatever number it is at the very end, those guys are all slotted in. They're going to make you know, the number 35th pick makes X and the 50th pick makes Y, and that's, it's, all, that's, it's pretty easy. The only thing that people have to – figure out and if you remember Saquon was obviously he, we everybody knew kind of where he was going to be slotted with his money but it was all about terminology and a lot of times he's fifth year how much you know money's like that stuff so I think that that's where you when you get guys that don't come into camp it's not that they're they're holding out for more money it's just a matter of the structure of the contract more than anything well and from the perspective of the signing bonus Jeff that you brought up think about this if you don't have a guaranteed spot and you are on the fence about whether or not you're going to make the 53 man roster take your money right take the money because <laughs> the signing bonus uh, puts some money in your pocket mm-hmm. and maybe you don't wind up catching right. on with the team after training yeah. camp and you feel and you feel good that the team's going to give you some money so that gives you an idea that you got a chance to make it you know, I mean, uh, teams just, uh, I know they make a lot of money, but they're, you know, they're, they're basically have to have some fiscal responsibility, they're not just throwing money out the window. So I think that when they give some of these guys some of these smaller bonuses, there's, there's a good idea that they're going to maybe make the uh, practice squad or maybe come in and make, I don't know, make the team if they can, but it's a long shot. But it's a good stuff. I mean, you're right, Lance. Put the money in your pocket. If <laughs> I mean, just, that's like, it's free money, right? Just give it to me. I'm going to come play some football. That's what these guys want. Yeah, and you also brought up the other side of the equation with respect to sometimes it's the money, but other times it's, hey, this team has 17 wide receivers in front of me, (laughs) and I just don't have a legitimate shot to make the roster, so I'm going to go over to the other team where there's four guys in front of me, and the opportunity is more attractive. Exactly, and and, you know, there's no telling um, what can happen in training camp. Guys get hurt. Um, Things happen. You know, listen, remember last year with the Giants? they had two offensive linemen that just all of a sudden just went and retired one one day after the other. So I and mean, and then you move up the depth chart. And you move sudden. up the depth chart. Also, you, you don't ever know. It's just I think the, the biggest thing that I would tell these younger guys is just get in, get a chance to get your foot in the door, and go in there and just do the best you can. And if you can get some money by putting your foot in the door, that's even better. Two other things I just wanted to real quickly throw out there in reaction to the last caller. I understand Darius Slayton dealt with injuries this past season, but I wouldn't go so far to label him as an injury-plagued player because our last caller said, I'm a little bit worried about him staying on the field. He played 16 games in 2020, and he had 14 as a rookie. So I don't look at that as a big injury concern. Granted, you want to see him regroup and bounce back, but... To me, it's more of a question, can you have consistency and production with him? I don't know if it's as much about him staying on the field. The other player that I think gets overlooked a little bit is Robert Foster, who has ties to 
the Buffalo Bills and Brian Dable, they brought him in. He has an opportunity to stretch the field a little bit, and he's 6'2", so he's that taller mm-hmm. option. And I think, once again, we look at him as a special team guy, but he could very well be somebody that gets a sprinkle of snaps, assuming he makes the team, and I think he has the ability to stretch the field a little bit. Yep, and I like the size. you know. Sure. Just, and uh, I think that a guy that can stretch the field with a little bit of upside to being able to go up and get the 50-50 ball that being 6'2", and that that works. You know, something uh, I was reading that Brian Dable said about Daniel Jones, and it, it makes sense because we talked about this on the show a few days ago. At least I was trying to insinuate that what I'm talking here is that De- Brian said if we can, if Daniel Jones can basically stay on his two feet, okay, and be on the field, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to be the Daniel Jones that we all think he can be because we we put players around him that can make plays. Right. And I think that yep. that's the biggest thing going into this season is obviously health with Daniel Jones. But it's, it's got to be pretty exciting to see some of these guys that are going to be healthy and some of the newer guys that are playmakers um, is in building this offense after what you saw Brian Dable do up in Buffalo and how he can create an offense to around these players is very exciting. And if I'm Daniel Jones, I mean, I'm doing everything I can to stay on that field and be able to show this team that I can have another contract, if, if you will. Well, it's a huge year from a financial huge. and security standpoint. There's huge. no doubt about that. Yeah. On a quick side note, by the way, I just looked it up. Foster averaged 20 yards per catch Whoa. over the course of his career. Just three seasons, but still, that fits the bill of somebody that could certainly stretch yeah, the that's field. That's big playability. 100%. I mean, you don't get a 20-yard average catching, you know, just do the math. It's, those, yeah. are some, those are some big plays. Well, and especially when you look at the fact that in year one, with Buffalo, he had 44 targets, and he ended up with 27 receptions for 541 yards, and right on the nose, he averaged 20 yards per catch. So once again, I think that's somebody that we haven't been bringing into the conversation, but if you're concerned about, to the last caller's point, a vertical threat, he actually has experience within this offense Mm -hmm. in that department. Let's head back to the phone line. Scott is in New Mexico joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Scott? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Good. Doing right, Scott. Jeff, you're getting closer to that gold jacket, so... Hey, man. I'm, I'm working like six uh, hours a day. Uh, it's not wow. something that you should be promoting, Scott. Scott. I, need, I need eight hours. <laughs> I need eight hours a day for you. I need to get that gold jacket. Come on. Right. All right. We're working on it. Thank okay. you very much. Right. And just I, so, I by the way, Scott, before you go on, just so our audience who may not be listening over the course of weeks understand, Scott jokingly said that he was going to try to kidnap people and keep them in his basement to get them to vote for <laughs> Jeff Fiegel. So that's why I said that's not something you should be promoting from that standpoint. Just so people understand the context yeah. in yeah. terms of our well, conversation. Go ahead, The train's yes. bringing more people in every day. Ah, yeah, I'm sure they are. Yep. I'm sure they are. We will make sure to keep the authorities away, Scott. Yes. Right. Well, I agree and disagree with both of you uh, in the same breath. And the reason I say that, I always look at the drafts as like the Forrest Gump box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And I'll give you a good example. Uh, You were talking about uh, Daniel Bellinger a little while ago. Mm -hmm. There was another tight end drafted earlier, I think in 2017. He played at Iowa. And he had played in 48 games. He had uh, 737 total yards, 10 touchdowns. He ran a 4.52, 40, and uh, Bellinger ran a 4.62, so a tenth of a second difference. I think you know who I'm talking about. He played at Iowa. Did he play for Detroit? I mean, who? Um... No. 
He's he uh, George Kittle. Oh, okay. Well, he plays. And I and I'm not making the comparison. Whoa, that's a big one. Yeah, I'm not making the comparison that Daniel Bellinger is George Kittle. But what I'm saying is, uh, uh, my son knows the head coach pretty well over at San Diego State because he still is in California. And they were talking about Bellinger specifically, and they said he he just hasn't even reached his potential yet. And with all the players in the draft, I think the, the, the draft on paper was one of the best drafts the Giants had. And people were worried about, um, you know, Robinson being too short. But you can't measure talent by how short you are. Uh, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. He has tremendous skills. He, he runs a 4-4. He's very smooth out of his patterns. And as you alluded to, he's going to make a difference on both special teams and both kickoffs and uh, punt returns, potentially. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the whole giant roster, and I'm not even talking about last year's roster, because Rodarius Williams, Ellison uh, uh, Smith, all of these guys are part of the Giants, and they have a place. So combining both of the uh, uh, draft picks last year and the draft picks this year, you really don't know until the guys get on the field sure. and do the job. And the two best players, or there were three best players, I thought, in this year's draft. The Giants got two of them uh, in Neal and Thibodeau. And the only one they didn't get was Gardner, which I thought was the third. That was a triumvirate. Those were the three best guys. And getting the two best really says something, but it's up to Gable to really do the job and see if he can get these guys to mesh in the unit that they have. And that's what this is all about. I hate the term rebuild because every team in the NFL rebuilds every single year. And the whole point of it is you have a goal, and that's to win the Super Bowl. There's no other goal. And the Giants can be competitive with the players they have now. It's just putting rosters together and seeing what meshes. But I have one uh, caveat to all of this that I'm worried about, and it's not Daniel Jones. Uh, I think the, the, the player I most worry about is Gadarius Toney. And whether... I think we lost uh, Scott with respect to the phone call, but there's plenty of things that we could certainly expand upon based on what he said. First of all, in terms of his point about George Kittle versus <laughs> Daniel Bellinger, yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible you find the diamond in the rough. I mean, I think, listen, every Amazing. team is hoping they find the George Kittle, yeah. especially when you look at where Kittle was drafted in the fifth round, but Kittle is an outstanding blocker. Okay, and he probably doesn't get enough credit. Everybody oh, talks yeah. about what he does. Yeah. He's an outstanding blocker. And here's why Kittle's an interesting example, Jeff, because if Scott's point is that the coaching staff of the scheme make the player, then Kittle, I would argue, could not have gone to a better environment and team than mm-hmm. San Francisco because of how Kyle Shanahan and that staff utilizes him in terms of his versatility. So if you want to make comparisons about George Kittle, you need to then say – that that coaching staff or that scheme is going to tap into what you see as a similar skill set the same way that the Niners do with George Kittle. And I don't, I don't see it happening. I, I see the comparison to Dawson Knox more than I do George Kittle um, with Daniel Bellinger. I, that's just, I think, then, and again, in that type of scenario that you just planned out, that, that works. The Giants are going to plug Daniel Bellinger in like they plug Dawson Knox into their system. That's just my opinion. 
Um, you know, and I'll tell you one thing about Bellinger. He had zero drops last season at San Diego State. Um, and that's something that had been lacking with this team at that tight end position for a while. Lots and lots of dropsies at that position over the last few years. So, and, and, and is, is Daniel Bellinger going to get, you know, catch 60 balls at a tight end? No. But, you know, when the ball goes his way, there's a good chance he's going to catch almost all of them. That's, that's a good thing. Well, you certainly want that efficiency, especially to your point, if you don't get a lot of opportunities. Now, in fairness, George Kittle wasn't a big offensive production guy at Iowa. So I understand where the last caller was coming sure. from in terms of, right, you're looking at a guy who he didn't really get much of an opportunity at Iowa, then he broke out of his shell based on the NFL. So it's possible Bellinger could be utilized more in terms of an offensive weapon. But I go back to, and I think you hit it on the nose, Jeff, based on the conversations we were having and how the Bills and the Chiefs utilized tight ends, not named Travis Kelsey <laughs> and not named Dawson Knox, I just, I don't see one guy being on the field as much as a George Kittle where he's getting X amount of snaps and they're not going to remove him from the field and he's going to have the opportunity, at least in the early stages, to make as significant of an impact as a Kittle did. No question. Absolutely. I'm right with you, Lance. So that's my biggest concern. Now, I don't know what Scott's complete thought was about Kadarius Toney because he said that that was his biggest concern moving forward. He was worried about him. Now, if your worry is about durability, Jeff, as you brought up, well, Wondell Robinson mm -hmm. allows you to accomplish what mm -hmm. you were perhaps hoping to do with Tony, even if Tony's not on the field. So that gives you at least an extra layer of security. Beyond that, once again, I don't want to insinuate, I don't know exactly where Scott was coming from, but if you're worried about in terms of the character or whatever it may be, hey, the bottom line is Brian Dable made this clear, so did Joe Shane. Tony's got a fresh slate here. So he's got an opportunity to prove himself to the new coaching staff and anything that happened in the past or anything that you may have been on the fence about is really thrown out the window. It's no different than when Shermer came in, when Joe Judge came in. They looked at these players through their own lens. Do we have a crystal ball? Do we know exactly how the relationships are going to pan out? No. But I wouldn't get overly concerned about what happened last season when it's a completely different scheme and a completely different coaching staff, at least at the early stages of what we're getting into here. Yeah. Um, you know, his, he just has to stay on the field. I mean, sure. he just and, – and so I think that the more he does that, the more confidence he'll have. I know he has a lot of confidence as a player, but I think more confidence the team will have in getting him the football, and this offense will really move around someone like Kadarius Toney. He's the number one draft pick, guys. Let's just not forget that. I mean, he's got an immense of talent – coming from those two legs, man. I'm telling you, that guy is going to be involved in the offense and he's going to have the production if he can just stay on the field. Again, same thing with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones can have a, an outstanding season if he can stay on the field because he has weapons all around him. And by the way, the guys up front, that is a completely turnaround as far as improvement. You got, you're locked up one side and both sides of the offensive line on the tackles. You got your guys there. And you pretty much, you know, through free agency and, um, and in the draft have, have addressed the middle of that lineup there. So I think you feel comfortable if you're Daniel Jones knowing that I'm going to have some protection. I'm going to be able to use my legs in this offense to a point. You know, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not Allen. I'm not going to be that guy, but I will be able to run a little bit. And also I have weapons all around me. I got a running back behind me. Okay, I've got a tight end that can catch the ball. I got receivers that can catch the football, and I got guys that can block for me. That's that's encouraging to me with Daniel Jones. 
durability is still the overwhelming term, I think, hovering over this team. Because yeah. you have so many players, and you were hitting on a lot of them, Jeff, where if they're all on the field at the same time, hey, that adds a layer of intrigue. Well, look at that. But look at the just receiver position. Look sure. at, at one point in time, was there only like, I don't know, 13 snaps or something that all those starting Correct. receivers were yep. on the field at the same time, including Evan Ingram? I mean, that is ridiculous so yeah durability from that position from the quarterback position um i mean saquon stayed particularly healthy last season so i mean if those guys can all stay on the field this offense is going to be much much improved and one last thing that i just wanted to expand upon based on the last caller's points before we reopen up the phone lines here is the term he said he didn't like the term rebuilding jeff and i don't love it either i think retooling is a okay. much more fitting term because I think every year, every offseason, teams retool. You lose free agents, you add new players, you bring in a new scheme. You're constantly reconfiguring, or that could be another term in terms of your roster. And the reason why rebuild to me is not necessarily an appropriate way to look at an NFL team, unlike other sports teams in other professional outlets, is the fact that the turnover rate in this league is ridiculous compared to the NBA and the NHL and Major League Baseball in terms of how quickly we see teams that may have struggled the previous season, right, and then they come back. But what to me separates the Giants from some of those other examples, for example, Cincinnati, right? The Bengals, how many people thought, Jeff, they were going to go to the Super Bowl last year? No. Right? They were clearly not a heavy favorite. Yeah. But what happened with Cincy is not only did – some of their young players make an immediate impact, like a Jamar Chase, and the free agents that they signed, like a DJ Reader, who had been hurt the previous year, but they got Joe Burrow back, okay? Let's not forget <laughs> about that. That was significant. So the way you come about accomplishing a very quick turnaround that I'm getting to and alluded to, yes, <laughs> a reachable one, is you have dynamic playmakers Get on the field, stay on the field, yeah. and yeah. you have no concern or worry about their consistency and continuity over the course of the season. That's how you accelerate the process that we're talking about right now. With the Giants, Jeff, if you apply that logic to them, Daniel Jones is returning. I would not necessarily put him in the same category as Joe Burrow, though, in fairness. And some of these other wide receivers are returning. So you are getting players that were banged up last year, and you could throw in a few offensive linemen, but... You also need, for the hundredth billionth time that you and I have been together, the 2019, the 2020, the 2021, and the 2022 draft classes to make that huge push up the ladder where it's not a guessing game in terms of what you're getting out of this group. Yeah, because you know, you you got to hit on these guys. Because if you don't, you're just continuously trying to feed the pipeline. And yep. it's just, you don't get anywhere. So, I mean... You got to go back and look at the 2020 draft pack, draft pack, draft picks, <laughs> well, <laughs> draft pack, that six works, pack, yeah. I guess, the draft pack. <laughs> yes. um, and then, you know, how many of those guys on 20? How many of those guys on 21 have, are actually going through it and, and 22 going to be contributing to your football team? Because that's about the time when you need them to be there. And so a lot of these teams, they've hit it big with the draft and building their football teams and they've ascended. The Giants have not. So I feel like that's why this draft, new organization, new general manager, um, looking forward going to the next year and the next year, these should be some of your core guys. 
And I think that when you look at the first they two, they have to. They yep. have to be. And they got your number one draft pick from two years ago. Okay, that's that is a guy that you're now looking at is going to be in his third season. That's a guy that okay, we hit on him. Right? That's what we expected, right? Daniel Jones is a guy that we expected to give a fifth year contract to and is ascending into a really, really good NFL football quarterback. Well, unfortunately, that didn't happen, but he still has a chance to be there. So, yeah, Lance, these guys, the, the draft, when we talk about building through the draft, you have to be able to get these guys to get into the, in, maybe into their next contracts. But then they got to they gotta produce for you because if you don't, it's just your continuous cycle of trying to catch up. And you're never going to solve all your issues through free agency alone. It's just and, not going to happen. And if you do, okay, if you do, like the Giants did in 2015, they went out and spent a lot 16, of money. Yeah. Six, yeah, they went out and spent a lot of money, and you can get there. But look what happens. You, you set your, your roster up for years to go, and you, you kind of all of a sudden, you know, you're going to cap hell. And yep. it's just it's a hard thing to do. So, you know, remember this. Young players are inexpensive. They're good. The draft is a way to keep your players and your payroll down, and then you have some money to pay some of the guys that I just talked about, that your draft picks did all of a sudden start ascending, and then you can you can extend their contracts, or you have a free agent that comes in that just actually works out for you, and you had to spend some of that money for them. Unfortunately, like a guy like James Bradbury, James Bradbury is not a bad football player. He is a cap casualty if it happens, it's in, and it's unfortunate the timing of everything for him. You know, so then that's just because when Joe Shane showed up and looked at the books, he was, whoa, okay, we got a little problem here, Houston. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to fix this. And unfortunately, that's what happens with expensive football players. Everybody knows it. When you sign a contract as a guy like that, you know that down the road, there's going to be something that's going to be happening. You're either going to take a pay cut or you're going to get released because of the cap. Let's head back to the phone lines. Mark is in Chicago hey, Mark. joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Mark? Hey, boys. Good afternoon. Hey, I wanted to just uh, – I have a couple questions for Jeff. I just sort sure. of want to address what you guys were talking about uh, most recently. Um, you know, this Mike uh, Kafka, the special teams coach, came from Kansas City. Uh, offensive well, he's coordinator. the offensive coordinator. Yeah, Thomas McGahey sorry, the, is still I'm the special sorry. teams coordinator. Yeah. I'm sorry, the offensive uh, uh-huh. coordinator. And I'm really excited to see what he might bring, uh, you know, from the Andy Reid coaching tree. I mean, I would watch the Chiefs games, and they'd be in formations and running motion that I'm like, what the hell are they doing out there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he really creative like a video stuff. Game. And exactly. And I was a little disappointed we didn't take uh, a cornerback earlier in round two. But now when I see what they've done, and based on even a couple of comments that uh, PDOT made, about practice, I mean, I think we have potential here for, I'm not saying right away week one, but for a real razzle-dazzle offense, I mean, with the tools that we have here. I think they, we'll see an offense here that we've never even dreamed of. Well, I like the razzle-dazzle component. I think that I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of, and, and remember, football is not all about that. I mean, it's about consistency and kind of, you know, doing things that you don't want to have those types of plays every single play but you know you're going to get a lot of them and by the way it takes a lot to practice those in practice and as the this team builds the team will learn how to practice those plays on a on a and execute them better the one big thing about coaches is that if you run it in practice and it succeeds they'll run it in the game if it does not work in practice they scrap it or they'll they'll keep bringing it back and keep bringing it back until they finally feel comfortable enough to run it in a game because you know about possessions in football 
if you're going to run a trick play or a gadget play, you better keep the football. Because if you turn it over, you know what happens. And I think that's the biggest fear of those coaches. And the other difference is with Mahomes and Allen, their durability in terms of running those plays and exposing themselves to hits a little bit different than Daniel Jones. So you got to walk that fine line in terms of how much you're exposing Daniel with the razzle-dazzle component. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I think uh, health that you talked about is certainly a big component, getting these guys on the field. But I think it'll get us to the point where Jones doesn't have to run. Jones wasn't a runner when he first started, but when Saquon went down, he actually had to run. And I think now it'll allow us to let him run when the opportunity presents itself unless as a design play. So I'm anxious to see what happens. And it sort of gets into a comment I made about my first question to Jeff. You know, Jeff, the other day you talked about the bye being in, I think it's going to be week six or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think for this team, that actually is going to help them. We have a new coach, a lot of new players. We all know that the first four weeks of football, you know, the quality is not there. I think after four or five weeks, we can take that bye, do the self-scout, reassess where we're going. I think it's actually a good time for us to have a bye early on. Well, I th- I, I'm not a big fan of the whole going overseas thing. Um, and I mean, then coming off the bye, because I, I think that, you know, that's a remember this. Um, and we talked about this all the time that football players and football in itself is, is very regimented. You know, you're throwing a kind of the re- routine is you're throwing a kind of a monkey wrench in it. You're going over across. And so that to a young team may be a little bit detrimental, in my opinion. But I see what you're saying. But as a player, maybe selfishly speaking, I'd rather see it later than, than earlier. So, and that's just because, but you know, when you think about it after, after, well, three preseason games now, and then the first five or six weeks of the season, you know, you're nine, 10 weeks into it that you could use a buy and that, that may work out as, you know, it just depends. And I, I'm thinking more of the buy, it's going to help the coaches more than the players. Don't <laughs> yeah. give that much time to reassess. Sure. Hey, this is work and this isn't, this person's working out. Let's try somebody else, et cetera. So, uh, my last question, Jeff, mm-hmm. um, I, uh, is on the special teams coaching. You were talking about the players. My understanding is McGahee is gone. I don't know about Quinn. No, McGahee's not gone. Thomas McGahee's still here. He's yeah. the special teams oh, coordinator. Oh, is he really? Yeah, yeah. 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 Tom Tom Tom's, gone. Tom's gone. Tom Quinn is left, and then Thomas McGahee was retained as the special teams coordinator. Yep. yep. Okay. All right. I'm mistaken. I misread okay. that. So, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy about that because other than a stretch in – 2020, where we had some bad returns, I think it was, in 2020. I mean, our special teams have been great, I mm-hmm. think. So, yeah, they played anyway, well. They played well. The mistake. Thomas McGay is a really good coach. Tom Quinn and was a really good coach. appreciate the call, Mark. Thanks so much. Um, I think one position to look at this year, guys, we don't talk much about it, but, I mean, it's going to be something that I think there, there'll be some competition, and that's the punting position here. Remember, Riley Dixon left, um, and he ended up signing with the Los Angeles Rams. But I feel like, you know, uh, Jamie Gillian is his name. He's Scottish gonna, Hammer. The Scottish Hammer uh, <laughs> is going to be. He's going to get some competition from somebody, um, and that is something to watch. And I really, I thought the Giants had it. And I, you know, at some point in time, I may try to talk to McGahey about this. Although I know I talked to McGahey about this before the draft, and he was very high on the kid from Penn State, um, and also the other kid from Georgia uh, that got drafted. So 
I think that I thought they were going to get one of those guys because of one of those fifth and sixth rounders that they could have went and got a punter to bring in here and compete. So, um, because you know, really, when you think about a six round draft pick, um, there's all there's really it's not all that much money when it talks about signing and, and slotting where the money is. Sure. Um, and I feel like if there was a situation where they had a great competition and you had to let him go, you could put him on the practice squad um, if you needed to. So we'll see what happens there. I, I think they're going to have to bring somebody else in to obviously compete at that position. Um, and, they, and they have the ability because Graham Gano, as we know, is one of the better players on this team. He's certainly making the team. He may not have any competition in camp this year. Certainly things to watch as we move forward here, as that is going to wrap up Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be back up and running on Monday at noon Eastern as we continue to look ahead to rookie minicamp and continue to break down the draft class in the context of the roster. So today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Jeff Fiegels, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Monday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.